just to believe, but it's been granted to us to go on from our belief and to live and to preach and to minister to the point even of suffering for his sake. Having, verse 30 says, the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. And what conflict did Paul have in him? He was in prison for preaching the gospel. Right? So basically what Paul says in that last statement is, you see me here in jail? You're practically in jail here with me. We are all sharing in the same thing together. Now, with that established, he comes to this next statement in chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore, and then he lists four things here. If there's uh, five, really. Two of them are the same. If, if there's any consolation in Christ, right, the idea of consoling someone means to build them up or to encourage them, you know, to edify them, you might say. Really, encouragement is the idea. If you have a New King James Version, it probably offers that word as an uh, alternate translation in your margin. Um, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, right? And, and that's rhetoric, right? Because obviously all of those things are attributes of a relationship with Christ, right? Is there any encouragement in Christ, brothers and sisters? Is there? Is, does, does the fact that you have a day-by-day, and I hope you are pursuing this because you probably can't answer yes to this if you're not pursuing it. So I encourage you, walk with him daily, read his word and pray and be in fellowship, all right? But look, is there a consolation in Christ? Yes or no? Yeah, of course there is, right? Is there any comfort of love in Christ? Are you comforted by God's love for you that caused him to give Jesus to save you from hell and to grant you everlasting life and fellowship with him forever? The love that's behind it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Are you comforted by his love? Is there any fellowship of the Spirit that is sharing in the Holy Spirit? Do you share in the joys and the comforts of the Holy Spirit because of Christ? Is there any affection and mercy? right? Is there any true affection? Is there any real mercy? All of these things obviously should be practically experienced outworkings of day-by-day life in a church, day-by-day life in relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, and day-by-day experiences just from walking with God, just from going into the room and shutting the door and seeking the Lord in secret that he may reward you openly. Just going there, you ought to find this. Find this encouragement, this comfort of love, this fellowship of the Spirit, affection and mercy. Angie just sang that song for us to talk about his steadfast faithfulness, new mercies day after day after day after day. Do you have that in your relationship with God? Paul writes this rhetorically, assuming that his readers can say, you better believe I've got that in Christ. But you know what? Sometimes we can get a little, maybe kind of either discouraged or beaten down, or we let the cares of this world, we approach, these, we approach things with a carnal mindset, and we find ourselves not reading the Word, not drinking in the Word, not being filled with His Spirit, not seeking spiritual things. Even in church, it can creep in, and church can become more about like a, a, like a social society and more about friendships and things like that, and all that is good, and all that is part of it, but it is all secondary 
secondary, without, without question. The most important thing about church and the most important thing about being a Christian is your spiritual life in Christ. That's what he's describing here in these opening verses. The spiritual life in Christ. In your spiritual life with Christ, do you find consolation? Do you find comfort of love? Do you find fellowship of the Spirit? Do you find affection? Do you find mercy? I would say to you, brothers and sisters, as I said already, that he wrote this assuming the reader's answer would be yes. And if the reader's answer here today is not yes, do you read? Do you study? Do you meditate on His Word? Do you pray? Do you devote yourselves fully to the things of God? I promise you, not because of any wisdom of my own, not because of any power that I have, because I have none, I promise you as one who reads the Bible and one who himself knows the power of God that if you will walk faithfully and humbly before God and seek Him with the whole heart, you will find this. You will find this. You will find a drink so that you never thirst again that will well up in you fountains of living water. Right? As Jesus said to that Samaritan woman who then said, give me this water that I may never thirst again, never come here again to draw water. Speaks of salvation through faith in the Messiah. But may I say to you, Listen, come on, we know this. It's Christianity 101. It doesn't end with getting saved. It begins with getting saved. So Paul says, if there is any of this, if you are truly enjoying the blessing of a spiritual walk with God, spiritual joy and power and peace that transcends all of the stuff that he describes in verses 29 and 30, the suffering that has been granted to you, right? No one, could, no one would consider it a blessing to suffer unless they were also promised that they would be able to be joyful as they withstand the suffering, right? I mean, there'd be something crazy about that. If it was like, oh, yay, I get to suffer. There's nothing innately in the suffering itself that's joyous. The joy is that you can have a supernatural peace that the world cannot explain in the midst of the suffering, That's where the joy is. That's where the blessing is. right? And if you will walk closely with him, you will have that if you walk with him by faith. And he says, he says, my my beloved church at Philippi, if there is any of this, then what? Then make me fully happy. That's fulfill my joy. See? Verse 2. Fulfill my joy by being... Here comes, here comes what I think is like the charter, or if you will, this is the spirit behind the mission of every church. I wouldn't say it's a mission statement because it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily practical or instructional or like we're going to do this, 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 and this. But this is sort of the visionary or spiritual statement, the description of the spirit behind the mission of every church, what it ought to be. And there's three things listed here. Fulfill my joy. Paul says, if you've got any of this spiritual blessing, which surely you do, as you walk with the Lord, then I want you to make me fully happy by being, being these things. Ready? Like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. And then he repeats of one mind. 
which is very close, very similar to like-mindedness. I could, I could list that as a fourth thing by itself, and I won't. You know what I found very helpful? I'll just go ahead and say this up front is I occasionally like to... Um, I don't know that I would ever use the New Living Translation as like my main Bible that I read and study, but I love to read it sometimes. Actually, I love to read it a lot. Just about every passage of Scripture I study, I, I, I read through it in several different translations. Always the New King James is the one that, as someone who only speaks and reads English, um, the New King James is the one that I, that I, for many years, have found myself using as my primary tool for expository preaching. However, this statement reads like this in the New Living Translation. Can I read this to you? Shake your head yes, because that's a silly question to ask, obviously. I'm going to. Ready? Here's how it goes. Ready? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and especially this last part, and working together with one heart and purpose. Isn't that just well put? Don't you, don't you just hear that? And if you have the Spirit of Christ, don't you just hear that and you say, yeah, I want to be part of that. I want my church to look like that. I want to walk into that every time it meets. And I want to be encouraged by it every time I associate with my brothers and sisters outside of its meetings. And I want to even experience the power and encouragement of being part of such a body when I'm by myself and serving the Lord in whatever capacity, in whatever time and place he has me in my life. Paul says, if you have any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any mercy, etc., if you have any of that in Christ, if Christ is good, then make me fully happy. He writes this from prison. He writes it from prison. If you really have any of that, then pray really hard that God would get me out of this prison. Nope, not what he said, right? If you have received all this great blessing in Christ, then you make sure you do this, 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 and this for me. Nope, doesn't say that. If you have all this spiritual richness because of your relationship with Christ, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart and purpose. Isn't that the spirit of what should be behind the mission of every church? Every church ought to have, to, 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 to go back into the New King James language, which spells it out beautifully as well, uh, like-mindedness or being of one mind Right? Having the same love and being of one accord. And the idea of one accord has to do with being in agreement with each other about your mission. In other words, we see with the same eyes what our calling and purpose is. That's the idea of being in one accord. Right? It has nothing to do with driving a Honda. You've heard that joke many, many times. I don't need to share that again. It has, to do with, uh, it has to do with being on the same page concerning what the mission of your church is, right? So you are like-minded, same love, of one accord. I'll tell you before I break those three things down where the rest of the passage goes briefly, 
I don't know if we'll get to all of it today. I, I don't really care if we do or not. Um, but in verses 3 and 4, it gives what is the spiritual key from the heart of every single person to getting there, to getting to what, to, to, to ascribing to what Paul describes as the thing that would make him fully joyful and fully happy. And what is that thing? Who said it? Someone said it. That's good. No, I wanted it said. Who said it? Say it, Bob. Humility. He couldn't even say it because he has a lot of humility. It's true. That's the key. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit in lowliness of mind. What a great definition of humility that is. Lowliness of mind. In my mind, I'm not this. In my mind, I'm not the one that everyone needs to look up to. In my mind, I'm not the one who has to call the shots. In my mind, I'm not the one that everyone has to come to. In my mind, I'm this. I've always thought that humility was the description of something positional. Humility has to do with low versus high. Down versus up. Knees bent versus chin thrust up in the air. That's humility. And that's what he says here. Lowliness of mind. Esteeming others better than himself. That's a choice. That is a choice. That is because esteem to... uh, 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 esteeming is used as a verb there. We think of esteem as a noun, self-esteem, whatever kind of esteem. But esteem there is used as a verb. It's something you do. And so you choose to esteem others higher than yourself because that does not come naturally to us, does it? What comes naturally to us is to esteem ourselves very highly. The Bible says so that every man will proclaim his own goodness and his own righteousness. We all, we all think of ourselves as experts. We all think of ourselves as leaders. We all think of ourselves as people that should be respected and should be listened to and, and people who should be served and everything else. That's what naturally comes to men and women. Naturally. That's the natural mind. That's the carnal mind that leads to death. But the spiritual mind... Paul says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded of one heart and love and of one purpose, one accord, right? And the key to it, the key to the, start, the starting point to all of this is this choice to be of low mind. This choice. Low mind does not mean less intelligent, less studious, less learning. It doesn't mean to be crude. It doesn't mean to be base. It means the opposite. It means to give great care to how you think, to give great care to your own attitude, making sure that your own attitude is a proper one. Hey, you know where this passage is really going after this? It's going to your example of it. Who's our example of it? Christ. You want to talk about someone who chose to go from here to here? How about chose to go from heaven to earth? You came from heaven to earth to show the way, right? We like to sing that song. That's a, that's a, that's a, it, 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 we sing it with the kids a lot, you know? But, but like, that's a song that like, that statement is something else. Our example of how we ought to be is that Jesus, who didn't consider it to be a crime or some kind of, Jesus didn't con- to be equal with God. He was in the form of God, this passage goes on to say. Didn't consider robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself not God. 
He made, well, I mean, he continued to be God. Don't run theologically like into some bad place with that. Jesus is God. He was not, he was not not God. He was God in the flesh, right? But Jesus became flesh, right? That's the ultimate humility. All right. We'll, we'll talk more about that if we get to it today. But that, that gives you a, genuine, a, a, a general synopsis of the passage. But now I want to break down these three things that Paul says fulfill my joy with. These three things make up what is the spirit behind the mission of every good church, every gospel church, every Bible-believing church, every church that sees the Great Commission and owns it. Here's the spirit behind that. Number one, he speaks about the mind. There are many powerful things said about the mind throughout certainly the Old Testament when it speaks of the effect. You read Psalm 119. You read through Proverbs and other, many other places. It speaks of the effect that God's Word has on the mind and on the thoughts of a person who believes, right? Um, you read through the New Testament, and one of the most powerful statements in Romans 12 has to do with uh, the transformation of the mind, right? Romans 1 through 11, the theological part of Romans, and then the, the practical part of Romans starts in verse 12. that says, I beg you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices and to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Body and mind. Body and mind. Body offered as a holy sacrifice. Mind transformed. So, so this idea of the mind being given over to the Lord is very important because what's being, what's being championed here in this passage of Scripture is that if there's any great spiritual blessing, make me fully happy by being of one mind. How do you be of one mind? How can you and you and you and you and you and all and me and all of us together be of one mind together? There needs to be like one consistent well that we're drawing our water out of. Right? Right? That's, that's the wellspring of the Spirit of God. We are of one mind when our mind is set to learn from the Holy Spirit via careful study of His Word, meditating on His Word, and committing to be obedient to his word. Letting him shape our minds through the consumption of the thoughts that are presented on the pages of this great collection of books. Right? Let's look at one of these things that Romans says about the mind back in the theological section of Romans. You'll know this. Romans 8 Go to Romans 8 and verse 1. I'll try not to beat this to death for you, but but this is the spirit that is behind the mission of every true church. Number one, that you be one-minded of one like-minded, of one mind. Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is, I'm sorry, there is therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Amen? Now look, take that, fold it up, and put it in your spiritual pocket and carry it around for the rest of your life. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, indeed, right? Thank the Lord. Now, with that assurance, go on. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk. There's that word walk. When we talk about walk, what are we talking about? Indeed, the living of the Christian life. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. So, so Paul starts this passage off by talking about there being no condemnation, describing the person who has been freed from condemnation as someone who doesn't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then he describes how God brought that about. How did God bring that about? Well, the law was in place, but nobody could fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, right? So the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me free from that law that I could never fulfill. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's law, you know, and we like to review some of the Ten Commandments sometimes. There's more to it than that. But, you know, the the most basic of laws, no lying and no stealing and no adultery and no coveting of other people's things and and you don't use the Lord's name in vain and and, uh, 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 honor your father and your mother, et cetera, so forth. You know, these, these laws, these commands that reveal in a codified way the righteousness of God, these, these laws can never be fulfilled in our flesh. And so we have condemnation, but now there's no condemnation in Christ because I've been set free from that law, and instead now I walk, I live according to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I live and walk according to a different law. I live according to a law now that is not a law on tablets of stone. I live now according to a law that is not a law of written requirements which were against me. Now I live according to a law that is in me by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. The Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, because it was weak through the flesh, The law could never justify me. The law could never unite me with God because it was weak through my flesh. Because all all, what my flesh did was show that I could not keep it. What it does is it shows me that I cannot justify myself before God, which is exactly what its purpose is according to Galatians chapter 3, by the way. So um, God did it for us by sending his own son in the likeness of sin, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Man, you talk about humility. And he never sinned, right? He took on what the most common, the the, the thing that is common among all humans is sin. We're different races, different ages, different shapes and sizes. We live in different countries. We speak different languages. But the one thing we all have in common is we're all condemned because of our sin. And, you know, Jesus came in the likeness of one of us. But he never sinned. 
He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See that? You see the picture? Jesus came and fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law by dying for our sins, by dying and paying the price for sin, setting us free from that law because that law's righteous requirements were fulfilled by him. And then he raised us to newness of life when we believed on him so that now we don't walk anymore according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, now here you go, here, here, here comes, I, I know I just talked, I said I wasn't going to beat it to death, and then I did, which is classic Lou, right? But, but then we get to this verse 5, and here's the point. Because Paul is saying that he, if you're going to fulfill his joy, you should be like-minded, of one mind. Here's a description of that mind. Here's a description of that mind. Because that would be really hard, wouldn't it? We can't even agree on which football team to root for. I mean, how, it's, that's funny. But, but really, men can't agree on anything. Anything. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Here's how we become of one mind. Ready? But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. <laughs> Hallelujah. How are we of one mind? By setting our minds on the things of the Spirit of God. The very Spirit that set us free from the law, which could never justify us. We are united in mind when we set our minds on the things of the Spirit of God. When we set our mind on the Word of God. When we set our minds to pray. When we set our minds on Christ, on His person, on his attributes, on his deeds, on his teachings, on the things about the future that the Word says about him that are still going to be experienced by everyone. When we set our minds on the things of the Spirit of God, when we pray, when we're not drunk with wine or anything of this world, but rather filled with his Spirit, when each of us as individuals does that, guess what? We are of one mind. This is part of the spirit of what ought to be behind the mission of every church. That every person, every member of every Bible-believing congregation sets his or her mind on the things of the spirit. Where is your mind? It, listen, let's just make it real practical with a question. Where is your mind usually? Is your mind set on spiritual things? It can be deceptive, may I say, sometimes, brothers and sisters, because we can be very actively involved with church. We can be very intimately acquainted with each other and even spending time with each other and still be very carnally minded. Do you understand what I just said? I'm not talking about filling our lives with a bunch of activity. I'm talking about where is your mind? 
Do you meditate on the things of God? Do you think about the things of God? Do you study the things of God? Do you purpose in your heart to seek the things of God? Do you make space in your mind for the things of God? Do you fill your mind with your computer and your smartphone? Do you fill your mind with all sorts of earthly activities? There it is, football and sports and entertainments and all that. Do you fill your mind? Do you fill your mind with, I just want to spend time with my friends? And, and then you get together with your friends and what you talk about is everything but Christ. You have to wake up. Wake up! The Christian, because he's been set free from a law which could never save him, now serves a law that's a different law. It's a law of the Spirit. The law of love. The law of Christ. And if we're going to be of one mind, we as individuals have to set those minds on the things of the Spirit of God. And if we set our minds on the things of the Spirit of God, we cannot be but of one mind. And Paul says, if there's any consolation in Christ, you know, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any mercy, make me fully happy by being like-minded. And that's how you do it. Unclutter your mind. Stop listening to music that is filthy. Stop watching and taking in entertainment that is strictly carnal and earthly and filthy. I am not promoting legalism to you because you can do all of that and you can put every carnal thing, you can put everything about this world out of your mind and still die and go to hell. We're saved by grace in Christ. I am not promoting legalism, but I am promoting that if you're going to be spiritually minded, you've got to get the foolishness out of your mind. Watch what you listen to. Watch who you talk to. Watch who you listen to. Spend time in conversations, in holy things. What does this book of Philippians that we're reading, at the end of the book, he says, if there's anything lovely, if there's anything praiseworthy, if there's anything noble, if there's anything pure, think on these things. That's how we get to the same place in our minds with individuals saying yes and amen collectively, and then we become what? One mind. And then look out! Look out community where that church is. Because when the church, when the church has people that are of that kind of mind, then we can really make an impact. Or God can make an impact through us if you prefer. I, I don't really care about mincing the words, but... For some people, that's important. Whatever. You know what I mean. Your church needs you. Your church needs you to set your mind in the right place. You watch what you say to people. You watch what you listen to. You watch what you allow into your mind. You're told right here. Look, look what this goes on to say in Romans. Verse 6. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Look at verse 7. Because the carnal mind... Did it really say that? 
enmity against God? Because it's not subject to the law of God, nor can be. Those who are in the flesh can't please God. You see it? You see, you see the extreme phrases, can't, enmity, not subject, nor indeed can be. It's extreme. To be carnally minded is death. That ought to be enough for every truly born-again, Bible-believing Christian to inventory and police their own mind. That ought to be enough right there. Look what it says. The carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is enmity against God. Have you been saved through faith in Jesus? Have you been sealed with His Holy Spirit? Then day by day, set your mind on the things of the Spirit of God and keep it there. And when we all do it, you know what we'll all be? One mind. Not complicated. Not easy. Nothing that's good is. It's not legalism and it's not works salvation. Remember? Remember what it said in the beginning of chapter 8? No condemnation to the, that we're not talking about whether you're saved or not. It's done. No condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. We're not talking about whether you're saved or not. We're talking about now how do you live once you've been saved. You took that no condemnation and put it in your spiritual pocket, right? That's finished. Nothing can change that. Hallelujah. All right. Uh, number two. He said, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Number two, having the same love. Turn to the love chapter. What's the love chapter? Yeah. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. You know why I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13? Because it's the love chapter. Well, aside from that, 1 Corinthians 13, you'll go to weddings, you'll go to where my wife works at Hobby Lobby, and you'll see placards and posters and things to hang on the wall and greeting cards and all sorts of things that correctly and properly and beautifully and wonderfully take verses out of verses 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, and 9, usually. But... What really strikes me today is verses 1, 2, and 3. See, we are called in this verse in Philippians that I read of to have the same love. We're called to have the same love. Just like having the same mind needed some sort of standard which is the things of the Spirit of God. Having the same love needs some sort of standard. And Paul, when he wrote about love among the brethren, and, and you, you know what almost never happens is, is 1 Corinthians 13 never gets contextualized. Just the chapter itself. What's the chapter before 1 Corinthians 13 about? It's about spiritual gifts and spiritual gifts were a problem in the Corinthian church. It's not a, yay, I'm so happy about spiritual gifts happen in your church. 
No, it's, it's, it's a teaching, but it's a teaching from a corrective point of view. And then what's 1 Corinthians 14 about? It's about speaking in tongues mostly, but also just kind of about the abuse of spiritual gifts. You see things like if people come in and you're all speaking in tongues, won't they think you're crazy? Wouldn't you know? I'd rather speak five words with understanding than 10,000 in a tongue. Sandwiched in the middle of this corrective teaching about the misuse of spiritual gifts is what was really missing in the Corinthian church, which was love. They were very busy in the Corinthian church. They were busy with some good things, and they were busy with some bad things. And so before Paul says anything about love, he says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, drives me bananas that people read that and take that as some sort of literal theological premise about there being angelic tongues and about uh, other tongues. He's speaking rhetorically. He's saying, even if I spoke with every other tongue that men speak, and even in angelic tongues, it's, it's rhetoric, Right? People totally miss this, especially our charismatic and Pentecostal brethren. They miss this, and they take this and say, see, Paul spoke with angelic tongues, and so we're going to speak with angelic tongues. Is usually how it goes. It's nothing what the passage is about. It's rhetorical. He's basically saying, though, which means even if, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Right? Speaking with, if I could speak with an angelic tongue, but it is not done in a spirit of love. It's like we're sitting here in this quiet room, and then the drummer sneaks up behind me and takes a stick. I had to look behind me just to make sure nobody was there to actually do it. And bang! And it's like, that's not a good picture of love. And that's the point. That's what it, you know what that would be? That would be extremely annoying. It would be counterproductive because we're sitting here trying to teach and a loud noise would disrupt that. So it's actually counterproductive. Paul says, if I spoke with all these tongues but I don't have any love, I'm like the sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And though I have all faith so that I could move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. So I think that some of the most profound words teaching about love that have ever been recorded are actually recorded in the form of telling us what love is not. Right? We're told here that we can be deceived, even self-deceived, as surely the Corinthian church was. That's why the chapter appears in the middle of two chapters rebuking them about their misuse of spiritual gifts. The way that they were supposedly practicing spiritual gifts was sans love and therefore useless. Useless. 
and actually counterproductive. It's great you have a ministry that feeds the poor. It's great that you have believers that are so zealous that they give their bodies to be burned. And these are, you know, not necessarily literal, though they could be. It's great that you have people that understand all knowledge and all prophecy and they can quote chapter and verse and rip off theological concepts and tell you about this theological debate and that theological debate and this catechism and that doctrine and this decree and that council for the last 2,000 years. It's great that you have all these tongue speakers But you know what? You people don't love each other. Paul says to the Philippian church, make my joy complete. If you have any consolation, if you have any spiritual benefit from walking with Christ at all, make my joy complete by being of the same love. Stop trying to impress each other. Stop trying to compete with each other. Stop trying to deceive each other and mislead each other and defraud each other and cheat each other and manipulate each other. You bite and you scratch and you slander and you you seek your own. You think there's any amount of tongues you could speak? Do you think there's any amount of meals for the poor? you think there's any amount of sacrifice in the name of preaching the gospel that you can make that is going to undo or nullify the harm and damage of being an unloving Christian can do? Let us humble ourselves. Let us humble ourselves. Let us humble ourselves and truly love one another. Let's be of the same love. A love that puts others first. Now, now the rest of the section makes sense. Right? Now you read 1 Corinthians 13. Love, it suffers long and it's kind. It doesn't envy, doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil, doesn't rejoice. Thinks no evil, doesn't rejoice in iniquity. But Joyce is in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, never fails. All these things that you claim make you spiritual, your prophecies, your tongues, your knowledge, it's all going to vanish away. Because we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And, and people have struggled with year, for years to try to understand what Paul means in chapter 10. And I am convinced, I am convinced he's talking about love. Love, true love among Christians is the thing that makes everything else relationally unimportant. When we truly love one another, everything else we do is sanctified. Just like in the beginning of the passage, he says what? Well, the things that we do are nullified by a lack of love. The things that we do are sanctified by the presence of love. So the thing we ought to examine is our hearts. The thing that we ought to examine is our love. Does our love fit in the description? 
Is it a non-self-seeking love? Is it a love that has no pride? Is it a love that does not seek its own? It is a love that does, is it a love that doesn't think any evil thoughts towards one another? It is a, it is a love, is it a love that devises no harm against others? That's the kind of love that when it's at the heart of the things that we do, is real love. And Paul says, fulfill my joy by being of the same love. And that's the love that he's talking about. Same author, by the way. Same Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 13 as wrote Philippians chapter 2, just in case you didn't know that. And then the last thing he says to the Philippians is uh, he talks about their mission when he says to be in one accord. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded having the same love and being in one accord. Of one mind is a restatement of being like-minded, I believe. But being of one accord speaks to the mission. In other words, we are on the same page as to what we're supposed to be about. And there's so many things I could say, and we're going to get to the last hymn today, even though we started late. But um, because you know, the threat of snow is apparently as dangerous as actual snow. That's why the service started so late today. Actually, there was some flooding around. I know I went out to try to pick up Bella to bring her to music practice, and uh, Port Reading Avenue was all blocked off underwater, so there was probably that going along all over the place. But even though we started a little late, I still want to get you out of here on time. So, so what do I say? The, uh, the purpose, the mission, one accord... What is the mission of the church? We all need to be on the same page about this. Everything that we do in our church, everything that this church does, dinners that we hold, youth group events, married couples fellowships, Bible studies, everything that we do has to fit in to our little Honda Accord. There you go. Yes. If it doesn't fit in the Honda, throw it out. There you go. I should copyright that. That's pretty good. But listen. And what is it? What is the mission? It's to spread the gospel, to baptize new believers when they come to faith in Christ, and then to teach them these things that they might become disciples who launch off and do the same. And that's it. That's the mission of the church. The love, the good works, the doing good, the letting your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. All of those things, they're all subs, they're all ancillary, not ancillary, but they're all components of the Great Commission, which is to Go out and preach the gospel to the lost in the power of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the utmost parts of the earth, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Be his witnesses. Preach the gospel. When people believe, don't just leave them there. Bring them in. Encourage them to be baptized as a a symbol of the faith that they have and then begin to teach them to be disciples of Christ by learning his word and being obedient to the things that are taught therein. Every, that's our accord. That's our car. That's the church car. That's the Honda Accord that everything has to fit in. That. If it doesn't fit into that, well, we're not supposed to be doing it. We're wasting our time. Yes or no? Shake your head yes, because Lou is right about this. 
He is. That's what we're called to do. There are many wonderful things we can do along the way to strengthen the fellowship, to encourage people to be better witnesses. Right? So it's not like every event is we're just going out and knocking on people's doors and witnessing to them. That's not what I'm saying. But nothing that we do is strictly about ourselves. Everything that we do is about Christ and his purposes in desiring to reach and to save lost people and to have them gloriously transformed through faithful teaching and discipleship into people who shine and become bearers of his image, which Philippians chapter 2 eventually goes on to talk about how we are the bearers of his light to the lost around us. That comes through becoming saved and being discipled, and that's our purpose, that's our accord. That's our one accord to be in. Paul says, if you have any consolation, any strength, any hope, any fellowship in the Spirit, any mercy, if you're getting all this great spiritual blessing from God, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, by being of the same heart, a heart of love, and by being of that same mission in one accord. As, again, the New Living Translation put it, make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one heart. That is the spirit behind the mission of every true church. Ken and Amy, come on up here and let's sing our last hymn together. Everybody stand up, take out your hymnals and open to whatever the third number is up there, and let's sing and then I'll close us with a prayer.